1: Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work and you can find out more. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, he's the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll find out what Gibbon got wrong in the history uh, and decline of the uh, fall of the Roman Empire. And we'll visit with Jim McDegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, "Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is November the 29th, and on this day in 1947, despite strong Arab opposition, the United Nations voted to partition of Palestine and uh, created the independent state, Jewish state, of Israel. The modern conflict between Jews and Arabs in Palestine dates back to the 1910s when both groups laid claim to the British-controlled territory. The Jews were Zionists, recent immigrants from Europe and Russia, who came to the ancient homeland of the Jews to establish a Jewish national state. The native Palestinian Arabs sought to stem Jewish immigration and set up a secular Palestinian state. Beginning in 1929, Arabs and Jews fought openly in Palestine and Britain, attempted to uh, limit Jewish immigration as a means of appeasing the Arabs. As a result of the Holocaust in Europe, many Jews illegally entered Palestine during World War II. Radical Jewish uh, groups employed terrorism against British forces in Palestine, which they thought had betrayed the Zionist cause. At the end of World War II in 1945, the United States took up the Zionist cause, British, unable to find a practical solution, referred the problem to the United Nations, which on November the 29th, 1947, voted to partition Palestine. The Jews were to possess more than half of Palestine, though they made up less than half of Palestine's population. The Palestinian Arabs, aided by the volunteers through other companies, countries, fought the Zionist forces, but the Jews secured full control of the UN-allocated share of the Palestine and also some Arab territory. May the 14th, 1948, British withdrew from the expiration of its mandate, with the expiration of its mandate, and the State of Israel was proclaimed by Jewish Agency Chairman David Ben-Gurion. The next day, forces from Egypt, Transjordan, which now is Jordan, Syria and Lebanon invaded and Iraq invaded invaded, uh, Israel. The Israelis managed to fight off the Arabs and then seize key territories, such as Galilee, the Palestinian coast, and a strip of territory connecting the coastal region to the western section of Jerusalem. In 1949, UN-brokered ceasefires left the state of Israel in permanent control of these conquered areas. The departure of hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs from the Israel during the war left the country with a Jewish majority. And that's the history of the establishment of the Jewish state, of course, uh, contentious uh, since its beginning. Well, Florida is now tied uh, for the lowest daily COVID-19 cases per capita in the United States. Uh, 20, November the 26th update shows Florida reported a daily average of 1,393 cases, or about six cases per 100,000 folks. That represents a 5% decrease over the past two weeks. Hawaii also has a daily average of about six cases per 100,000. Puerto Rico only has two. And interesting. Other southern states like Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Louisiana saw low COVID-19 cases average in recent days, the data shows. Michigan saw a daily average of about 85 cases per 100,000 folks, the highest in the United States, according to the data. And of course, they're the ones with the lockdowns and all the mandates. Those figures represent a 59% increase in cases over the past two weeks. Throughout the pandemic, the sans, has uh, praised, uh, been praised by Republicans and criticized by Democrats and the legacy media pundits after he rescinded mask mandates and signed laws prohibiting vaccine mandates in the state of Florida. Doing a great job. Well, this new uh, variant is creating quite a stir. Of course, the market down 900 points on Friday with light trading, though. The first South African doctor to alert the authorities about patients with the Omicron. Variant said the symptoms of the new variant are unusual, but mild. Uh, Dr. Angelique Cosier said she was the first alerted to the possibility of a new variant when patients in her busy private practice in the capital of Pretoria started to come to the er- in earlier this month with COVID-19 symptoms that did not make immediate sense. They included young people of different backgrounds and ethnicities with intense fatigue and six-year-old child with a very high pulse rate. She said. None suffered from a loss of taste or smell. Their symptoms were so different and so mild from those that I'd treated before, she said. She's been in practice for 33 years. On November the 18th, when four family members all tested positive for COVID-19 with complete exhaustion, she informed the country's Vaccine Advisory Committee. She said in total about two dozen of her patients have tested positive for COVID-19 with symptoms of the new variant. They are mostly healthy men who turned up feeling so tired, about half of them were unvaccinated. There are some encouraging takeaways, such as that a significant portion of those who presented symptoms of the new variant were unvaccinated, and that her 6-year-old patient was so much better within days. Dr. Cossier concerns about the variant have also appeared to be typical for other variants, which is the greatest worry for the elderly and for those already having comorbidities. Meanwhile, in the United States, Dr. Anthony Fauci is making headlines for what, unsurprisingly, may be fear-mongering. Uh, Nicole Nassif Acevedo of NBC News went on the headline in her Saturday coverage of a Omicron COVID-19 variant could already be in the fe- U.S., uh, Fauci said. In her sub-headline, however, she noted that Fauci did acknowledge we do have not detected it yet. Going on to add that, but when you have a virus that is showing this degree of transmissibility, it's going to to essentially go all over, he said. I think he's a quack, quite frankly. He escalated his feud with Republicans on Saturday, declaring on national television that senators who are challenging his COVID policy are anti-science. They're really criticizing science because I represent science, he said. (laughs) That's dangerous top doctor commented, uh, uh, drew immediate criticism, including longtime critic Senator Rand Paul, who called it hubris. It's astounding and alarming that a public health bureaucrat would even think to claim such a thing, especially one who's worked so hard to ignore the science of natural immunity, said uh, Rand Paul. Wikipedia found uh, Larry Sanger added, his own slam, Fauci is a bureaucrat, bureaucrat, not a scientist, he tweeted. Fauci and his boss, NEIH director Francis Collins, spent most of the time on television Sunday talking about the new coronavirus variant called Omicron. Fauci said the U.S. must do everything and anything to curb cases of the variant, even though it's too early to say. More fear-mongering. Fauci added he believed Americans had to get ready to live with COVID. I don't think we're going to uh, eradicate it, he said only eradicated one affection of mankind, and that's smallpox. I don't think we're even going to eliminate it. But it was Fauci's war on words with uh, GOP senators that generated the most buzz. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about, Fauci said. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people can recognize that there's a person there, so it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science, Fauci said. You know what? Uh, I don't think uh, he... I've never seen him ever reference a scientific paper or scientific study or debate among scientists about any of this stuff. He just comes out with these ridiculous claims. I, I would be happy if I never saw Fauci again on TV. It's time to get in some new authorities And everything has been so politicized right now, I don't think he knows what he's talking about, frankly. Just my opinion. Now, uh, not surprisingly, Pfizer said on Friday it could produce an improved version of its vaccine within 100 days if the new Omicron variant is resistant to the current vaccine. The Disease Control CDC and Prevention uh, uh, COVID uh, response team published a study on Collaborative project jointly run by the Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory, Yale University, and BMJ, a global healthcare knowledge provider, concluded there's no significant difference in transmission potential of vaccinated and unvaccinated persons infected with COVID Delta variant. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So, my question is why do we have the vaccine in the first place? Some say that it uh, creates less. Uh, smaller degree of illness for those that get infected because of the, the vaccine, but I have my suspicions. frankly. It's very, very concerning, first of all, that uh, we have all this fear-mongering going on, and we found out from the doctor that the uh, doctor who discovered this and reported it to the authorities in South Africa said that the new variant is less virulent, is less con- uh, more just as contagious, perhaps more contagious, but uh, has does less damage to the individuals that get it. Makes them very tired. That's pretty much the major symptom. And they recover without going to the hospital. So uh, get ready for an overreaction again. The real pandemic is fear, in my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website airconditioning dot Also. Brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rocking good time. Lulaby's Diner's a throw complete with great music, and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Bee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Bee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulaby's diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at Lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool, rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Ramboss says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect to Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's
0: 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. For the past 15 years or so, we've been talking about up-to-the-minute global events on Monday morning, and uh, just really pleased to have Mark with us. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: So, Mark, uh, big news, of course, is the new variant, Omicron, I guess they're calling it now, and uh, uh, discovered in South Africa, and immediately all the fear kind of sets in. The markets were down, well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has it a Symptom or suggestion? Of what's going on? Down nine hundred points on Friday. Already lockdowns in the United States and in New York and other places. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, it's a lot. You know, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty, and uncertainty um, breeds uh, fear to some extent. But the other thing is one of the things one learned from from the COVID to begin with: was slow action is like no action. So the fact that it took us so long to stop flights from China, for instance, and then even when we stopped flights from China, we didn't do anything about connecting flights and all of these things. The, the, the realization from the beginning of COVID is, if you're going to take any action, do it very, very quickly, because otherwise it's going to be too late. Mm. So that's what people all over the world have done: is they've cut, you know, they've they, they've stopped incoming uh, visitors from South Africa and 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 nearby countries as well. Obviously, it's too late to stop everybody because some people have already come in, and in various parts of the world, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in um, in Belgium, in Netherlands, in Israel, a few other places, they've they've come across a few cases of it. Um, and the question is, can they can it be stopped in time? Um, the great concern is how it. Um, interacts with the vaccines, that the vaccines will protect against it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't have an answer to that question yet. Um, we do know from all that's clear is that it's incredibly contagious, like four times as contagious as Delta. Mm-hmm. And what we also don't know is, is it more Is it uh, more deadly or less deadly in terms of, you know, how it hurts people. It also seems to be attacking people who are younger, by and large, mm-hmm. additionally which may also be a factor of the, the people who are least vaccinated, since most elderly people have vaccinated themselves even all over the world. So it's, you know, it's a lot of questions, yeah, a lot of unknowns, and basically it's going to be at least a week to two weeks until we have answers to those questions. I mean, the two most important questions is, do the vaccines work against it? And B, does it cause more severe disease or not? And, um we won't know for two weeks. And until then, a certain level of question, I think, is warranted in terms of flights from, from, from South Africa particularly. Almost all seem to have come from South Africa.
1: Yeah, so, so one so, of the uh, things we, we, I think we know that usually viruses, uh, they, they continue to morph over time, but they they're, uh, create less severe symptoms for the people who get the vaccine. That's typically what happens. And this seems to be what's been reported by this Dr. Coetzee from South Africa. She's the one who reported it to the uh, authorities in South Africa about her patients. She had 16 patients who got it, all recovered, including a child who was 6 years old who uh, suffered from an elevated heart rate, but seems to have recovered uh, completely now at this point. Right, but
2: see, now we're talking about big numbers. We went from South Africa, in that region, went from 200 cases a day to 2,000, and yesterday 3,000.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you have a you have an exponential growth. And, of course, one of the issues always is, and this is why everyone's always concerned, is that, you know, all the way through with COVID, only a small percentage of people, you know, got severely ill and only a small percentage of those died. Um, but as the numbers get larger, so, you know, so the numbers of people who can get severely ill and the numbers of people die will also increase.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So even if it's mild in 90% of the cases, if it's severe in 10% of the cases, and another half of those die, that's a real problem, obviously. So, yeah. we just don't know. That, that That's the reality. We do not know. Um, this has happened quicker than people expected. Uh, not that they didn't expect there to be variants, but it's quicker than we expected. It is not because we haven't been giving vaccines out to various parts of the world. It turns out that most African nations have gotten as many vaccines as they can use. Um, they've we've run into dual problems. One, distribution in many of these countries, mm-hmm. and B, a certain level of vaccine hesitancy thanks to social media.
1: So you're, so, you're in, uh, in Israel. You're still in uh, Tel Aviv, Mark? Correct. Uh, so uh, w- I, my understanding is there's been pretty much of a lockdown as a result of this news. Uh, what no, no, no,
2: that's not true. What's been the lockdown is in terms of in and out of the country. In, uh-huh. in, inside the country, there's no no new restrictions whatsoever. Uh-huh. Uh, the restrictions are uh, no foreign foreigners are being allowed in for two weeks, and any Israeli returning to the country has to go into quarantine for three days. He takes a... Um, everybody, even all the way through, have been taking PCR tests at the airport. No one has been allowed in without taking a PCR test. Yeah. Until now, they're supposed to stay in quarantine until they get the results, which is usually about eight or nine hours later. Now they have to... Uh, stay in quarantine for three days, uh, get the results, and only um, excuse me. Stay in quarantine. Get take take a test when they arrive. Stay in quarantine for three days and take the test again. And then if they are negative, they can uh, leave quarantine.
1: So interesting. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, right in the middle of a golf tournament. Apparently, the South Africans all quit <laughs> and got on a plane because otherwise they wouldn't be able to get back into the country. So. Uh, there's been a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. And I, I get what you're saying. It's a, it's a precaution, and I think what you just spelled out that's happening in Israel kind of makes sense, no question about that. But other states are beginning to start, here in the United States, New York, for example, to uh, already start lockdowns and uh, mandates. So one,
2: of, look, one of the problems in the United States throughout the whole uh, the whole COVID story was that nothing was ever done at airports, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no COVID testing. People were allowed to get on planes without getting COVID tested. They were able to, you know, get off planes, come off from anywhere in the world without a COVID test. Yeah. And that, forget vaccines, forget you know all the things that one argues about. Yeah. But that's a very basic precaution, right? To test right. if someone is carrying the virus or not.
1: Right. Makes and sense. That
2: was never done anywhere. In other words, um, not. Throughout the, throughout the whole event, it has never happened in the United States that they've done that at borders and, at, uh, and in terms of, of testing on arrival. They've made foreigners be tested, but Americans have not had to be tested.
1: Well, part of the problem so, with that is the fact that, it's that they've required uh, agencies to do the testing, not allowing, uh, for people should be able to ha- have their own tests. That wasn't until just a few months ago that people were allowed to do their own testing on themselves. To, uh... Right,
2: but those are those are not the PCR tests. Those are the antigen tests, which are not nearly as uh, as accurate as the PCR tests. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's a question, whether you want to just go with the antigen. But again, if you get people doing their... People lie, let's be honest here. They want to travel, they lie. Yeah. The best thing to do is to have, you know, have a system where you test everybody be- before they get on a plane or, or test everybody when they arrive in the United
1: States. Yeah. But, that makes okay. sense. That makes sense to me, for sure, because, of, you know, for example, we don't want people coming from South Africa into, for example, Naples, Florida, where we have the smallest number of cases in the United States uh, per 100,000. Uh, no sense in uh, destroying that that momentum that we have here.
2: Right, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the issue. Now, is there any way to hermetically seal borders? No, there isn't, of course. There, there is no way to really do that. The United States, particularly with, you know, million with Thousands of entry points, and also inside Europe, Israel has a has a little bit of an advantage because there really is only one main entry point, and that's the main airport. But again, you want to slow things down. You want to you want to give yourself as much time as possible. You want to give time if if the if the vaccines don't work for the vaccine manufacturers to come up with a new version that will work. You you want that time. Time is really of essence when when you're dealing with a pandemic like this.
1: On the other hand, Mark, okay. I, I think you also want rational thought as opposed to fear being motivating the the activities and the thoughts and the decisions that people are making. And it, to me, I just get really concerned about overwhelming fear uh, dictating how people are responding to this thing. And uh, I'm not talking about necessarily people. I'm talking about uh, elected officials.
2: No, absolutely. It, it's always a balance. It's a balance between keeping life normal Mm-hmm. and protecting one's health and that's really a very you know it's a complicated balance the longer this goes on obviously you know if this was a a one-month event it, you know no problem one month we were all sit in our houses for one month and it'll all be over right but unfortunately we're now um two years we're now <laughs> yep yeah, we're two years in
1: yeah well, amazing well okay so let's let's move to some other things that are happening around the globe including the iran talks what's going on there
2: Okay, so the Iran talks have opened today in Vienna. America is the indirect participant because the Iranians won't talk directly to the Americans right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they have become very close to having a bomb at this point. I mean, the, one of the greatest uh, foreign policy disasters of the last administration was, was leaving the JCOPA agreement, which Iran was keeping. It didn't mean that Iran was a, good, was, a, was a friendly neighbor, was a good people, but they were keeping the agreement, and once the United States unilaterally withdrew from it, the Iranians said, well, we're going to just, we're gonna just um, go right ahead and run to get the bomb, basically. Well, they won't quite say that. Um, and it's a very problematic situation because it's not clear the Iranians want to return to the agreement, um, and um, you know, the maximum pressure never worked. And we've talked about this before. The fact of the matter is economic sanctions rarely, rarely work against a, a regime that's committed to a particular policy. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened. Yeah. So the United States withdrew from, from the agreement unilaterally. The Iranians have gone forward and they're now way ahead of the point they were when the agreement was reached. And now what do you do next?
1: Well, one of the things that, that we've seen the uh, the worms that have been released, I suppose, by Israel, maybe with the United States, and uh, they've been creating months of setback for the uh, for the program. That happened a couple right. so, so years so ago. So
2: there've been setbacks, and um, supposedly Israel and possibly the United States and others have done what they can to delay the program. But ultimately, delaying it is not the same thing as stopping it. What stopped it was the agreement, mm-hmm. and unfortunately. Um, no one is really. Well, you know, Israel might be willing to go to war to stop it, but they don't really have the capability. And the United States certainly doesn't want to go to war to stop it. And of course, if the Iranians believe the United States won't go to war to stop it, then there's nothing to stop them.
1: So there's also. You know, I'll, I'll just raise this this uh, point. And I, I don't have anything to back it up, but I would suggest that there is a possibility that the, the Iranian behavior would have been the same with or without the agreement.
2: No, it's, it's, it's not true, though. The reality was the Iranians were keeping the agreement and had removed the had removed the uranium from the country. Uh, there was close supervision. There were cameras that were working everywhere. Now, is there a chance they were cheating somehow? It's possible. Mm-hmm. But by all by all accounts, by all intelligence services, both the U.S. and the Israeli intelligence services, they were keeping the agreement until the United States decided to unilaterally withdraw. And the problem with unilaterally withdrawing, and I said so at the time, the major problem with the agreement was a sunset clause, right? That was the major problem that everyone had with the agreement—that it ended after ten years, or it didn't even end; it, it, it tapered off to some extent after ten years. Yeah, which was a really good problem. I mean, it was a real serious problem. I it would agree 100%. But because the agreement ends after ten years, why would you unilaterally end it? And that's the problem. Why would you unilaterally end it after four years? Where was the logic? And it wasn't. I'm sorry, it was one of the. It was the Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, who wanted and end up political reasons domestically, and President Trump, who went along with him on this. And it, it was, you know, let's put it this way nuclear diplomacy was not one of the success stories of the Trump administration. That's the reality. Look at North Korea also. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: uh, no. let's uh, let's move on. I'm not sure we'll resolve that issue, but there's other things going if on. We about- can't,
2: well, unfortunately, we can't resolve it. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: the problem. laughs> but, but <let's- laughs> if we can
2: resolve it, then you know we'd be very famous.
1: That's right, but but at least we've informed, anyhow. So let's move. Right. Let's move to the uh, supply issues that we have right. The supply chains right. around the very day. interesting.
2: I, I just read an interesting study that says that supply is actually higher than it was pre-COVID. What's gone on is a demand issue believe it or not. And demand is so much higher um, than it was pre-COVID. Now, think about it for a moment. Two things happened, and this is almost in the whole world. On one hand, you had a lot of money being pumped into the system by all the central banks and you know direct payments to people and everything else like that. On the other hand, there are whole classes of, of, of spending that people were not doing. People are not spending on, on travel to a very large extent. Tourism around the world is, is way, way down, even though there's a limited amount of tourism. People um, are still not eating out in restaurants and other f- venues of entertainment in any part of the sort of numbers they were prior to, to COVID. So what's happened? That demand has shifted to buying things. And people don't, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's not in our nature to just put away the money and save it, right? Right. Um, and so people instead of for all this extra money, they're buying new TVs. They're buying new kitchen no what, refrigerators i don't know they buy you know it's whatever it is they are buying physical objects yeah and there just isn't a supply for these physical objects um, to meet the demand and that's of course that's part of the reason why there is inflation and that's part of the reason we're finding the you know problem of supply cuz the supply is not keeping up with this greater demand that's that's all over the world this isn't something only in the united states it's-, it's throughout the world there's been a greater demand and the supply is you know, the, like I said, the supply is at post-COVID levels, but demand is outstripping it completely.
1: Well, so, some of the things you mentioned, of course, that all makes sense, uh, except some of the things like chips, you know, that's kind of a national security issue, and I think it's pointed out some severe issues at rare earth minerals, things that we need to make sure that we can secure without, the, depending on China and other countries around the world. Right, that,
2: that, okay, that's a whole other issue that we need to deal with, is the, is the question of our independence when it comes to... Um, to key materials, then that's without a question. But but there's also a limitation of how much of that is available in the market at the moment. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are creating this this you know the demand is way up. The demand for electric cars is way up. Well, that means we need a lot more of the rare earths that we need in the batteries. The you know demand is up across the board.
1: On the other and, hand, we uh, have we have a hundred ships sitting out at sea right now off of the Pacific Coast waiting to get into Long. uh... The Long Beach, Long Beach and other... Yes,
2: absolutely. No, there's no question about that. Um, but there are 100 shifts also because there's so much being produced. Yeah. It's the a combination therein.
1: Wow, well, so it's interesting.
2: No, by and large, it looks like this, this: this, the shelves of the big retailers will be stocked for, for the Christmas holidays. Well, so you're making the case
1: that this is a temporary phenomenon. It's transitory. No, actually,
2: I'm not necessarily. Uh-huh. I, in other words, I, I'm not sure how temporary it is. That's one of the questions. In other words, we don't have the answer to the question as, as the fundamentals of, of the economy shifted and therefore it may not be so as temporary as we think. We don't know. We don't mm-hmm. have the answer to that. Interesting. Um, if it was only a supply issue, then it would be temporary. Yeah. Because supply always catches up to you know the immediate demand.
1: Well, if, if, if that's the case, we saved up and then we spent, uh, that money's going to run out sooner or later. So <laughs> that would make it transitory. I would guess right,
2: except if we don't spend, if we don't go back to you know spend the money we usually spent on tourism and other things for the moment.
1: Exactly. So uh, before I let you go, I'd like to uh, the Turkish lira collapsed. I mean, dropped thirteen percent. I think it was in a day or a week, a very short period of time. What's going on with that?
2: Well, don't forget, Turkey it turned in from 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 being a democracy to being a uh, an autocratic rule. Um, and the economy hasn't been able to keep up, you know, with. This uh, is the way everyone wants, be, as any sort of populist leader, who wants to keep his people happy. But keeping his people happy means keeping products cheaper, uh, running a big up, a budget deficit. When you run a big budget deficit like that and you're not the United States who can print money, that usually leads to a devaluation of your currency. Mm-hmm. And. Um, that's what's been going on. In other words, he's spending way more than he can afford to spend. COVID has hurt Turkey a considerable amount, um, and the economy has been in free fall.
1: So the question, though, I have is that uh, usually you see this kind of phenomenon happening over a period of time, a year, two years, 13%. That's a lot in in a week. I mean, was there some event? And, And I'm wondering if it's a canary in the coal mine for other economies around the world
2: don't know about the canary in the coal mine in that sense it may be in the canary in the coal mine for Erdogan's um, political future but all the attempts to oust him have not worked mm-hmm. but the people are getting very upset about what's going on with the lira and what's going on with the economy as a whole mm. so we'll see I mean I don't know you know is is it an indicator for what might happen in other countries look we are living in an age of of total uncertainty. Which I don't think we've quite understood how uncertain everything is, um, and you know, for instance, going back to what we just discussed earlier, the variant you know came out of nowhere all of a sudden, and suddenly, um, every, you know, the markets lost that value. Some of it's come back yesterday, um, well, not yesterday, but in, today and this this morning and pre pre trading, and in Europe, of course, right. Um, but um, we just don't know. So, uh, so one,
1: one of my concerns, yeah, one of my concerns is that, uh, right, I, as I understand it, I've forgotten the exact statistic, but I know you'll be familiar with it, uh, that about 25% of the currency and, and in circulation here in the United States has been created in the last year, two years. I mean, it's just been amazing in terms of uh, how much money has been uh, in, fed and into... And
2: printed, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we printed, the Europeans printed, everybody printed. So... And that's... You know, and again, uh, was it too much? We don't know. Yeah. We do know uh, for sure that what we didn't have because of COVID was a depression. Yeah. So you know, you, you you can look at it from lots of different perspectives. We now have to worry about the hangover of the money printed. On the other hand, uh, it certainly looked at the beginning, if everything was shutting down, that we could go into a, a full a full fledged depression.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So. Well, Mark, as usual, we have so much to talk about and not enough time to talk about it, but I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Again, Mark Schumann, the founder and publisher of a multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages. I hope you'll check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thanks so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Have a great week, everybody.
1: You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Harton Show, here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
1: Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett-Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, not only building a beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best at great value. Also, great uh, lineup of productions this year. I hope you check it out and get some tickets at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
3: Okay. Uh, We educate young people in high school and college with ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. And we do that uh, through our very robust website, org, which contains uh, free video and, and courses and daily content. And also, uh, we host events around the country and sometimes abroad.
1: FEE.org is the website, feE.org I've been to the national conferences, and they are terrific. To see young people so excited about freedom, responsibility, patriotism, it's a great thing. And uh, just encourage, if you have somebody high school or college age in your life, please introduce them to uh, FEE.org. Oh, You'll be glad you did. So, Larry, uh, you wrote a column so interesting about uh, the history of Rome, and uh, Gibbon, great historian and parliamentarian of uh, uh, British Parliament, I wrote about this. I think it was back in the 18th century, if I'm not mistaken, about the history and decline and fall of the Roman Empire. But uh, you're suggesting you got it wrong. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Okay. Uh, Edward Gibbon, uh, who lived from 1737 to 1794, did write a a very impressive six-volume history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, and uh, more than 200 years later, he's still regarded as uh, a great historian of that period. But there's one point, a very uh, central point, in fact, that I think he got uh, dreadfully wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in trying to explain why ancient Rome declined and fell, he pointed the finger at the Christians and, and made the point that uh, with the growth of Christianity, especially in the 4th and 5th centuries, that uh, that weakened Rome because a lot of people said, hey, I, I'm going to worship uh, a God now uh, in the form of Jesus Christ instead of the um, of state and so they became uh, less interested in being uh, uh, public uh, service-oriented, and they uh, ignored the state wherever they could, and that sort of thing, and that, Gibbon says, uh, weakened uh, the Roman state. But you have to recognize the context in which uh, all this was happening. Uh, Rome was a republic in its first 500 years with Mm -hmm. considerable liberties, but that disappeared by uh, about... 30 BC. That's that's uh, 60 years before Jesus began his teachings, mm-hmm. uh, or his ministry. So you can't blame the decline of the Roman Republic on him. And later, the empire was a, such a very different place. By the time it actually fell, it was a thoroughly decadent, uh, tyrannical uh, despotism. And so I look back and I say, well, I, I can't blame uh, Christians or anybody else for uh, falling short in their uh, uh, you know, dedication to the Roman state at that point. It was not worth fighting for.
1: Well, in fact, I think the, the population of Christians at the time was uh, probably pretty small by comparison to the rest of the Roman Empire. Uh, frankly, and of course, the, the Jesus parable is uh, rendered Jesus uh, unto God, the things that are God, those that are under Caesar, the things that are Caesar, something to that effect. Point being is that, that it that falls in the face of uh, I think the dictates uh, or the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, teachings of uh, of uh, Christianity.
3: Yeah, and there are some historians uh, picking up off a of Gibbon, who imply that uh, well the Roman state lost revenue because uh, it was going instead into the rising uh, Christian Church, but there's every indication that the old pagan. Uh, religion that uh, had Rome in its grip for centuries uh, was a source of uh, growing revenue because the Roman state, as it allowed Christianity to operate and to grow in the beginning in the fourth century, uh, they were the Roman state uh, was confiscating and um, uh, redistributing the wealth of the uh, pagan institutions and their temples and so forth. So, you know, even if the Christians. Uh, sent less money, uh, tax money, to Rome, uh, the old pagan religion and its institutions were giving Rome at least as much because the Roman state was seizing it.
1: Yeah, not to diminish uh, his contribution to history. It's major, frankly, but uh, irrespective. I mean, I see real parallels to what happened to the Roman Empire uh, when it declined and uh, disappeared to the uh, barbarians, but uh, to what's happening right now in the United States with the increase in, in the interest to communism and socialism. and uh, They had their bread and circuses back at the time. We've got welfare <laughs> right now. Yeah,
3: a lot of parallels. And as the state grew in its size, its intrusiveness, and all of its uh, programs that they couldn't afford, they were inflating the money supply. Uh, politicians were acting as demagogues, including emperors, Trying to buy off constituencies with uh, the public money, and depreciating the money at the same time. So it was a decadent, uh, disgusting place by the time it uh, Rome fell. And you can't blame that on the Christians. They were actually giving people some hope in a in a in a uh, uh, place where uh, otherwise they would have had so little.
1: How about just uh, the moral disintegration? Uh, the, you know, the people and the character. One of the things that the, the Foundation for Economic Education uh, f- stresses is the importance of character. If you're going to have freedom, you also have to have character. you got to pick up both ends of the stick. And if uh, you have to deserve the freedom that you're given and earned, you know, through our, our revolution. But character, the uh, uh, disintegration of the uh, moral character in the Roman Empire was pretty severe, wasn't it?
3: Oh, it sure was, and you saw that in so many uh, manifestations. Uh, The uh, desire to live for the present, to ignore the future, to get something at somebody else's expense, to use the government as a source of income from you as it seized money from other people, Uh, all kinds of personal and moral debauchery as well. Yeah, character is uh, uh, the other side of the coin of liberty, You can't have one without the other, and I don't know of any society in history that lost its character and uh, still kept its liberties. That just never happened. You lose character, things like honesty, uh, humility, patience, responsibility, gratitude, self-reliance. If you lose all that, uh, it's inconceivable that your liberties could remain intact. And in Rome's case, of course, they didn't. Yeah, of
1: course, that uh, just speaks to the, the quote of uh, Benjamin Franklin stepping out of the, uh, in Philadelphia, stepping out of the State House after a uh, uh, meeting, and uh, he said, you know, we have, a, uh, we have a republic if we earned it, or if we can earn it. And I think something that effect, point being, yeah. it's, it all comes down to character.
3: That's right, a republic if you can keep it. He knew full well that uh, they put some beautiful words on paper called the Constitution, but that whether or not it survived depend upon the char- uh, dependence, depended upon the character of the people.
1: Larry, again, President Emeritus of a wonderful organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Check out fee.org, F E E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg. Uh, he lived in the Beltway for years, had a uh, presidential uh, a pass, White House pass for, as a press uh, member, and uh, now retired and writing books. Two great murder mysteries, uh, Shake the Money Tree, and it's uh, uh, Follow the Leader. We're going to speak with Jim that more right here in The Bob Harden Show and The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app at the website, choicesocial.us. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break, he's former Barron's. Uh, Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries. The first is uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us.
4: It's a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Jim. Hey, you got anything else in the pipeline for, are you writing more books?
4: Uh, Yes, I I have a third uh, book in the Martin Boundary um, Murder Mystery Series. Called uh, No Problem, and I'm I'm doing the final rewrite uh, now, and I I hope to have it ready by the first of the year.
1: Fantastic! Is it a, is it a sequel?
4: It is. It's the third book in the uh, series. And the series also traces the decline of uh, newspaper journalism. So so Martin Boundry, who is a uh, journalist, is going to have to pursue a new career.
1: Fantastic! Sounds great. I'm looking forward to uh, to reading it. So uh, Jim. Uh, Right now, we're seeing this Omicron variant create all kinds of fear. I mean, way out of control, in my opinion, of initial knee-jerk reactions uh, from uh, elected officials. Uh, What are your thoughts? What's going on right now?
4: You know, it's ironic that uh, uh, Dr. Fauci and company are talking about shutdowns. Know, closing down the economy again, which we know didn't work, right. uh, on the heels of a Thanksgiving holiday where, for the first time in two years, families were able to get together, uh, on the heels of a uh, Black Friday when the shopping malls were filled, uh, they're talking about lockdowns again. And uh, to me, this is the Democratic Party shooting itself in the foot, creating a huge, silent majority if you scan the newspaper headlines, you see evidence everywhere, even in San Francisco. There's, there's you know, liberal San Francisco where they have the looting of the uh, uh, Louis Vuitton store, you know, crime rampant in the streets. Right. Uh, there's an article today that the uh, citizens are going to recall, want to recall two school board members because they sp- spent too much time on social issues and too little time getting kids back in the classroom. Uh, during the pandemic, so there, in very liberal San Francisco, you have a revolt of the parents.
1: Um, Parenthetically, you know, Jim, I, I I don't know if this is relevant or not, but uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh... and her husband have bought us an estate in Jupiter Island, twenty-five million dollar home. <laughs> they're moving to a place that's a little bit more sane, run by somebody like uh, Ron DeSantis. He's making much better decisions than the liberals are making in San Francisco. They're destroying the place, quite frankly. No law and order. So what's happening? You know, there's $950 uh, break on uh, shoplifting. If you only steal stuff worth less than $950, no problem. You can skate. Well, guess what? A lot of folks are going in and doing just that. Just uh, to your point, destroying Louis Vuitton and other high-end uh, stores.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, the other, thi- uh, the other thing is inflation. And I mean, uh, most people see it at the gas pump and the food store. Uh, you know, this summer, uh, I was up at the uh, Hershey Hotel for a breakfast one day mm-hmm. uh, with my uh, lovely wife, Rachel. And the waitress was telling us that she commuted every day from the Poconos, which was about 60 miles away. She had five kids. And she would commute to the Hershey Hotel because the wages were so good, so much better than back where she lived. And she was making a, a good salary to support her kids, help, help her husband support the kids. Well, you, you know, think forward if with gas pumps, oh. prices the way they are. People like that are, are just losing uh, all the gains from commuting. It's a disaster. So, so there's more of the... Uh, silent majority uh in on top of the crime and then on the crime again you know talking about shutdowns is insanity and then there's a border which the newspapers try to ignore it but you really can't that the border situation will flare up again
3: and ironically
4: it'll be the virus i think that draws attention to the border uh you know when we have another cavalcade of people marching towards the united states and we're scared to death about virus variants uh, it's going to drive home to the public the porousness of our border so um so you have have all these trends working against the democratic party uh, i think they've given up on the midterms and, and they're looking ahead to try to salvage uh, the presidential race so they have this, uh, what I call the build back a better Biden plan. Yeah, know, there's, there's, there's,
1: there's... All, all this hand-wringing about who, who's going to be the candidate because it looks like Biden's not going to run. Now he says, well, that's not true. Those are those are uh, stories have been made up. But now, now they're talking about, is it going to be Michelle Obama? Is it going to be Hillary Clinton? Is it going to be uh, Kamala or Kamala or whatever her name is, uh, Harris? It's uh, kind of interesting. And none of those choices seem particularly good to me.
4: Well, here's the other thing, too. Polling, you know, is imperfect, although, you know, clearly Biden is in big trouble. Yeah, probably the worst trouble of any president in memory uh, since the beginning of the 20th century. Um, uh, but what I do is I like to read the front pages of, of local papers in key states. So, you know, Chicago, Illinois is supposedly a reliable blue state. But they have the Chicago Sun Times has a big feature today about how African Americans are leaving traditionally african American communities because they're fleeing crime yeah um, and and the other thing uh you know I have african American friends and colleagues and they're not all Democrats <laughs> you know, yeah I have uh, african American friends who are conservative republicans uh. This is a danger to the Democratic Party because, again, they're they're making the mistake of assuming that all minorities uh, think like they do, and it's just not. I mean, church-going people, for example, are not going to buy into that left-wing, uh, you know, anti-religious, uh, anti-traditional morals.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Biden said, "If you, uh, if you, if you ain't voting for me, you ain't black." <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's I don't think that's flying anymore. In fact, I'm uh, hosting a reception for uh, our uh, U.S. Congressman uh, Byron Donalds, who's doing a terrific job. You see him everywhere. He's on the Mark Levin show. He's on the Greg Kelly show. You name it. Uh, he's he's a featured guest across the nation on these uh, national syndicated shows. And uh, he's a freshman congressman right here from Naples, Florida. So proud of the job he's doing. And he's black. I mean, he's he's uh. It's so well spoken and. I think uh I'm so proud of him, especially because I think he has the ability to reach across the island. I'm not talking I mean, to create conversation, to have real conversation with people about the issues as opposed to just the vitriol and hate that's going on in, in the country.
4: Yeah. Now where the Republicans can blow it is that they really have to distance themselves from their fringe groups. Uh you know, there are a lot of uh uh like in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania where I've relocated. Uh, there is a nest of white supremacists with ties to um, Moscow. I mean, the local newspaper You're has, has has traced this, and they uh, they're anti-Semites. And you know, when somebody's anti-Semite, they're, they're, it's it's much more than the hatred of the Jews. They hate everybody, right? Uh, and and they will identify with uh, Trump, and it's. Uh, I don't you know, think he uh, wants. I don't
1: think he wants their support frankly he I- does
4: he does but the republican party has to be vociferous in denouncing these people and you know it's all about marketing and their marketing on this point has been very weak so i think i think uh, the republicans are really facing a, a wonderful situation for the midterms but they have to capitalize on it with a uh, a very intelligent uh messaging they just can't can't sit back and and let the uh, Democrats uh, destroy themselves. Uh, you're They're right. Yeah. T-
1: I, I'll, I'll just pile on the point that you're making. I saw this ad on global warming from one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, energy companies and it's uh, features like a 14 year old kid i mean they're doing segment marketing i mean nobody's going to buy into this uh, global warming nonsense uh, crap i'll call it uh, uh, it's it's all made up it's all junk science the, but young people might buy into it so that's why they have a 14 year old kid doing the commercial they get the young segment to the young voters to believe in the in the uh, global warming issue is something that's uh, we we got to save the earth in the next nine years, or else we're done. You know, th- those are votes that that's going to help them. So
4: now I'm with you. I, I believe in the power of marketing. I actually believe that more people would be vaccinated uh, with a with a marketing campaign. You know, think Smokey the Bear yeah. instead of instead of these government mandated lockdowns and you know treating people like they're in prison. Is not the way, the way to win affection. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Jim, you know what? I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, and I just encourage our listeners to read your books. Get them as Christmas presents, by the way. You'll be happy you did. Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree by Jim McTagg, MC, capital T A G U E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you, Bob. And, uh, Thanks
1: for the warning not to move to Jupiter. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, that's a wrap on here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We have great guests for uh, tomorrow's show as well. Uh always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at dot bobhardnethotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.